Mark and Julie Appleyard. That was a great interview. Yes. I really enjoyed it. That was fun to introduce you to them. We talked about uh, the traditional church model and what they're kind of doing to think about church in different ways. Yeah. In fact, halfway through this, which I don't know why it took me that long to figure it out, I realized the title, <laughs> uh, Rethinking Church. Yeah. Yeah. So that was... Uh... Let me say that again. Halfway through this, uh, I realized that this is a, a podcast uh, called Rethinking Church. Mm. Not only Rethinking God, Thomas, <laughs> but Rethinking Church. But they also talk about the things that we're really passionate passionate in talking about, which is what does intimacy and a life of intimacy look like? Yeah. And how does that actually overlay with what church life should actually look like? So, and they're Aussies, They're right? Aussies and very good friends of mine. So it was a lot of fun to have them on. They don't really get into their story until about halfway through. So I'll just give you a heads up. They're pastors. They've pastored for many years and have a, have a ministry now, uh, an international ministry where they pastor globally. So a lot of wisdom, a lot of grace. Yeah. Um, he they, does a lot of consulting though outside of the church as well. Yeah. So with yeah, business yeah. leaders yeah. and uh, CEOs. And so there's right. a lot that he does and that they do. And I, I loved getting to meet them. That, that was great. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, pioneers, um, probably some of the craziest leaders I know, uh, <laughs> fearless in jumping out of a out of an airplane. They're the first out. Yep. They're always the first out. Yep. So high high level leadership stuff from these these guys, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. I'm excited to have you guys with us. I've been telling Thomas about my good friends, the Appleyards, and how I've been running with you guys for years. I don't know anybody who is less scared of the goodness of God than you guys. And, and I say that is the greatest compliment. I remember the first time when I was trip, trepidatiously investigating the idea that, that maybe control was a flawed way by which to define the nature of God. You and I were on staff together. Uh, that's how we met at a, at a church. And, uh, and, and you were the guy that I could throw the craziest thoughts at. <laughs> and I remember I was at your house and I threw this thought at you. Uh, and I, and I said it with a little conviction. I said, uh, Hey, 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 um, uh, Mark, what if the sovereignty of God has nothing to do with God being in control? And I remember you made a face and it was that face that I was afraid of, but it, it was only there for just a half second. And then you were like, Hmm, tell me more. <laughs> You've always been one uh, to encourage radical thoughts about the goodness of God, which is what we're doing with this podcast, yeah. which is the passion behind uh, what we're doing is mm. the idea that he's really, really good and that he's so good that any spot on our lens, any flaw on our lens regarding his perfect love for us mm. is worthy of looking at again and reassessing. And that's the heart behind it. And I don't know anybody who uh, as uh, radically willing to be the first, if you will, into the water, uh, and then you guys. <laughs> I know someone else who did that one day in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> I got teased the other day because I posted about how cold it was here yeah. by somebody who uh, who'd been to Norway and was like, "Didn't you go in the uh, <laughs> Northern Sea in March?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's yeah. right." <laughs> I heard I heard about this story. I heard about this story. Oh yeah. We have photographic evidence. Uh, we do. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm in my underwear, so let's not let's not post that anywhere. That's right.
you guys are leaders, you're pioneers. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's almost scary how quick you are to jump. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that, Julie. It's really scary. (laughs) Faith is about risk and doing it scared. (laughs) That's you could speak to that. Maybe we could start there. Yeah. The point faith is about risk. The Lord taught me that like powerfully. I was speaking in Amsterdam years ago with Andy Mason and my beautiful bride here. And um, yeah. they both Andy and Julie had already had a run at the mountain and it was my turn the following morning. It's 10 o'clock at night. I've done some preparation, man. I'm getting ready to knock it out of the park. There's going to be a whole you know, building full of people that have paid good money to come us here and talk, hear us talk about ministry in the marketplace. And I lay my head on my pillow at 10 o'clock at night and the Lord said, uh, so Mark, you know that uh, message you've been working hard preparing? I said, yeah, he goes, I want you to ditch it. Straight away, cold sweat. <laughs> what? He goes, yeah, he said, uh, I want you to ditch it. I've got something else. So I said, well, what is it? He goes, I'm not going to tell you yet. And uh, that's, that's, you know, I, I had to question, there was a spot on my lens at that moment, <laughs> the goodness of God. Um, but I said, all right, so that's what we're going to do. It's about him. It's not about me anyway. And mm. I, I remember I, I, I went to bed. I struggled to sleep at about three o'clock in the morning. I woke up and it was, it was a, a, a in-depth teaching around the nature of the faith of God that is spelled R-I-S-K. Yeah. And uh, mm. as, it, as it turned out, it ended up being a message that blew the conference apart. Typically, we look at, at, at growth in, in kingdom as a, as a bell curve. It's like, okay, it goes up, it, it ebbs, it flows, it goes up. But in actual fact, it's meant to be an S curve because we're meant to go from glory to glory to glory. Yeah. Um, so there's, it was challenging that, that supposition straight away of, okay, wow, this, this is new thinking. And so as, I, as the Lord downloaded this, I remember I just scribbled it down. The R was, first of all, we've got to recognize change is coming. It's the first thing we have to do. It's where our eyes are, are, are cast on the horizon while they're here in the right. present. Uh, yeah. The I is then identify the scope of that change. So now get busy and do your research, understand what is the change that is coming and get really detailed, get into the weeds on that thing, understand it as good as any person on the planet. So first of all, recognize, I identify. S is then you've got to step in and activate that. And if you don't feel like puking in that moment, then it's not <laughs> Uh, there's got to be something about that that says we've literally thrown ourselves into the middle of miracle territory in this yeah. Um And so let's step in and activate the change. And the K is, um, is the kingdom favor that's there to steward now, this new kingdom favor. Um, the problem is, is a lot of believers stay in the K and we call that la-la land. It's a false positive because very early on you forget that it took R, I and S to to get you the K. So right. just when you're in the K and you're starting mm. to steward the favor, you've got to remember the next R is on the horizon. It's time yeah. to recognize again that change is coming because we're not to tip over and fall into the crash zone. Um, well, I won't worry about going there, but there's a crash zone that we fall into and we come on the other side because in, in the top of that bell curve as the R comes, we now move up to another S um, yeah. and head up again and, and get ready because mm. faith is always RISK. I love that. We've, of course, had this conversation uh, on many occasions. What I love about this, too, is that R-A-S-K, faith, is risk. But what the fruit of, of that is, or maybe where you, where you would land, is that it, it could also be spelled T-R-U-S-T, mm-hmm. that the fruit is trust. Mm. And I've said it this way. When you jump out of an airplane, everybody would call that a leap of faith. But but the actual uh, reason that it is an insanity is because you put your trust uh, on the parachute that's on your back. Right. And so the, the beautiful thing that happens, especially when you're talking to pioneers, is that sometimes you'll jump out of an airplane and you really didn't even know that you had trust yet. Mm. So, so it gets developed in the middle of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's so good. 
but it's why it keeps coming back to his goodness, his goodness, his goodness, his goodness, yeah. because it's all in now. You're all in on that thing. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. true enough. It's, um, you know, and, and we can only trust that which we believe. Mm. I've been doing a lot of talking around and, and trying to unpack what is it about that causes us to again and again and again step into the midst of miracle territory yeah. um, and, and be on the pointy end of the spear of, of what God is just going after in the world and, and why do we feel so uncomfortably comfortable there. Um, yeah. And when, when we've finished one thrust, it's like, okay, we can't do anything else but jump on and go for another. And, and, and what we've, we've sort of brought some language around is that, first of all, um, encounter with his perfect love is the, is the basic operating premise of anything kingdom. That's a starting point. What encounter does is it produces belief, belief in who he is and belief in who he's created us to be as his sons and daughters. Yeah. Uh, but when I, when I come into that encounter with his love and my belief about who he is and who I am adjusts, now my value system falls into alignment. So the resultant behavior is trust. And as I step mm. into tr uh, trust and, and activate my faith, I then have another encounter with him, which increases my belief and understanding, which and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, and what we've discovered is that the belief, belief is the container for faith. So, so the greater my belief in who he is and who he's created me to be, then the greater my faith capacity is for, for being able to carry mm. faith. So yeah. if I want to have great faith, I don't have great faith without great belief. The two are in an inseparable relationship. And I don't get great belief without deeper encounter. And, and that's very much mm. where Julie you know, really just leads us into is, you know, I'll take us further, but she'll take us deeper into encounters mm. with his perfect love for greater impact mm. because he wants to love the world through people. Yeah. I was just thinking podcast listeners aren't going to see what he did with his hands there. So you probably need to explain that a little <laughs> bit more detail so that people actually understand what you're talking about. That is, that is <laughs> yeah, I can see you one hand as above and one hand below, but they weren't in alignment. So you moved yeah. them into alignment. Mm. Phil Johnson always says, if there's a problem, it's never on God's end. Right. He's not going to move, so we have to do some moving to yeah. make sure we line up. And, with and, it. and on that very point, one of the things that gets us thrown out of many places <coughs> is is this whole concept of I'm very suspicious of values-driven organisations, i.e. churches, to starting point. Um, <laughs> because values is just a spiritual word for, for performance. And because yeah. uh, mm. values is not, not a, a list of behaviors I, I um, you know, force myself to follow. Values are something that comes out of what I truly believe. So when yeah. I join an organization and I've got to follow their list of values and I get measured against those values without dealing with the belief issue, I can only hold those values in tension until the next trial, tragedy, trauma or tribulation comes my way. And in that moment, my heart will default back mm. to its true belief system. And, and so, uh, so you know, we, we, we are in these places of tension. So when we, we've got values-driven mm. cultures, we've actually got performance-driven cultures, not encounter-driven cultures. <laughs> we, we could talk a whole hour on that. Do you mind unpacking that a little more about a performance-driven, maybe value system or culture versus an encounter-driven uh, yeah. culture? Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a, a good question that we, we need to unpack and explore. And, and that is performance is a list of behaviors. Values is, is a, a resultant behaviors is how we measure our values, typically speaking. So when I step into a, a culture that says, well, here's our values and we want you to subscribe to those values, um, then if I don't have a belief that produces those values, the only thing I can do is perform the function that those values demand, sure. which I'll be assessed and measured. So now what we end up with is in churches and the body of Christ, largely we have KPIs, key performance indicators, uh, that are measured through the lens of values. Uh, but there's a real issue with that is the kingdom's not about performance. And KPIs mm. have been borrowed from the business world. Mm -hmm. 
which is about performance. Yeah. Um, right. And then you talk to Christian business owners who want to be kingdom business mm. owners and really want to run their business for kingdom, but they're still following the world's way of doing things. They're still following the KPIs, right. the key performance indicators in order to make sure, and they'll they'll spiritualize what those performances are, but at the end of right. the day, they're still performances. Right. right. They're still, you know, are you behaving correctly? Are you adhering to the rules? Are you, are you doing all the right things, yeah. jumping through all the right hoops mm. in order to get the right result, yeah. which is not kingdom. Yeah, so and that, we work around developing KRIs or key relationship indicators because the kingdom's about relationship. Yeah. Jesus says this really annoying thing when he's asked, what's the greatest <laughs> commandment? Um, it's got nothing to do with performance at all. It's got everything to do with relationship predicated yeah. on encounters with his perfect love. Um, and so we looked at relation, key relationship indicators, which um, mm. we looked at as honor, respect, dignity, and creativity. Um, honor is recognizing oh, wow. who I am. Respect is me then recognizing who you are. Dignity is protecting who you are and creativity <laughs> is releasing who you are. <laughs> That's so mm. good. This is so near and dear to my heart. You guys are pastors uh, because whoever's listening right now would be like, okay, like what do they do? First, they understood risk because when I met them, they were, they, you can tell they have an accent. They're from somewhere else. They're from <laughs> Australia. And they literally packed their three kids and enough stuff in their suitcases and whatever they could get in a container and moved to the U.S. Uh, to pastor an expression or an extension of the, the church I was involved with. And that's how we got to know each other. So two things are happening in your lives. One, you are called to pastor people called to lead people, called into ministry, and I'm doing air quotes because ministry is way bigger than, than maybe how we would define it. Um, so you're doing that, you're operating within the context of the traditional model mm. before when you were in Australia and then when you got here as well. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about, in light of what we've just talked about, a little bit about that story and then the biggest, greatest jump that you guys took about three years ago when you moved away from some of the traditional ways in which we've done church, but you didn't leave the heartbeat of God or the body of Christ or the calling of pastoring or the church itself. Can you tell, tell us your story a little bit? God gave Mark a vision for church um, when we were in Australia. And the first couple of lines of that vision mm. kept us awake for years and would have us waking up in a cold sweat and looking at each other and going, oh no, please let, not, let this not be right. Mm, um, yeah. The opening lines of, of this, there's a whole thing and you can get to it on our website, which I'm sure we'll end up with links to later on. But um, the first few lines of this were, I see a church so influential that a city cannot ignore it and buildings <laughs> cannot contain her growth. Yeah. Um, it went on. It was really inspirational. It was the thing that got us out of bed in the morning. It was the, you know, everybody that we read it to was like, yes, we want this church. This is awesome. But we didn't know what that would look like because the only lens we knew to look through was the traditional church model. Yeah. And if you're looking at that through a traditional church model, then in order for a church to be influential in a city, it has to be large. Mm. And that was proven by the very next line, which said buildings will not contain her growth or buildings cannot contain her growth. Right. Like, wow. oh, we're going to be on a perpetual <laughs> building program 
because <laughs> we're going to build a huge building and we're going to sure. fill it with people and we're sure. going to outgrow the building and we're going to have sure. to get a bigger facility and then we're going to outgrow yeah. the building. And just that whole, that whole thing in itself was enough to, oh, that mm. was, that was just enough to give us cold chills. So this is the vision. Yeah. That and, we and, that, and that had, that had freaked us out because back in the late, uh, sorry, early 2000s, late nineties, early 2000s, uh, we'd helped to plant a church on the Gold Coast in Australia. And we, we built, um, a, a building that could contain 600 people in three days. We got 450 people in from around the world. People you know, came to Jesus on the building side and all that kind of stuff and national media coverage and all that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Wow. We're sitting there going, yeah. well, we can build buildings quick, but I think I shaved 10 years off my life. <laughs> I don't want to go near that again. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did it once, but yeah. once yeah. is enough. So, so we've got this vision and we know what we're, we know what we're called to build. So when we came over to the States um, and we had the opportunity to plant a campus of Crossroads United Methodist Church, yeah. um, we were not Methodist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Neither was I. But, <laughs> but, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we actually did a whole lot of research into, um, into Wesley and, and what he stood yeah. for and what his yeah. history was and everything. Me too. To learn that history almost better than mm. the Methodists themselves because, um, yeah, we had no idea. But we're building this church and um, Mark, I remember um, Mark was very um, adamant that he needed to join the business association in Waxhaw in the area that we are. He'd always been in business. He'd always run his own business. He's always, you know, been in the working world as well as in the ministry world. He was always bivocational. Over here, our visa didn't allow him to do that. So he joined the business association so that he could still have a foot in each camp. Yeah. Um, it became one of those things where, um, we started to learn that a church with a big influence didn't have to be a very big church. We were a very small church, but yeah. we were starting to have a lot mm. of influence. There were a lot of people starting to call him, mm. um, business leaders and yeah. town commissioners and gov like government level leaders in the in our area would call him. Um, I'm having marriage issues. I've got a problem with my son. I, you know, I'm really struggling with whether I should run for office yeah. again. Like all looking of for a pastor. Things, just mm -hmm. oh, they were looking for a pastor. So yeah. he became yeah. the pastor to the local area, yeah. um, praying with people. My mother's, my mother's died, and we don't go to church anywhere. Can you do the funeral? Like he was really yeah. becoming the pastor and and having a really big influence in this little town, but. We never asked people to come to our church. Yeah, um, it mm. was it was always the no strings attached type thing. We got to a point where the church Sorry, itself. I've got a butt in here. Go on. I, I, <laughs> a friend of mine puts it this way. He said, "When you try and solicit when you're doing ministry, he said it's like someone steps into the elevator and farts on the door closes. <laughs> Everybody can smell it. Yeah, no, I don't want to say anything about it, but they can't wait for the doors to open and get out get of there as quick as they can." <laughs> That's hilarious. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, it smells. It smells. Yeah, it does. It smells really bad. And we don't want it. We didn't want to do that. We didn't yeah, want to say, well, we're going to give you help with this hand, but we're going to try and drag you into church. And the yeah, other. yeah. So around mm. about that time, we're starting to look at um, the other thing that that the Lord really spoke to us about um, was our metrics of success. Mm. 
Um, how do you measure success? As a pastor and for the last 15, 20 years, we had been measuring success by the amount of people that came through the doors and the amount that they were giving and whether we were meeting budget or not. Mm. Um, so, you know, affectionately, <laughs> butts and budgets. That yep. was what we were mm. measuring success by. Yep. Um, and when the Lord challenged us and said, you know, um, he gave Mark a couple of different scenarios and we talked about these and, and he said, when do you feel better? When the church is full um, and giving is way up, um, but nobody mm. got healed, nobody mm. really was transformed um, mm. or the church was half empty could shoot a cannon and not hit anybody. <laughs> Giving was way down and you're worried about meeting budget, but people encountered Jesus in a really, yeah. really transformative way. When yeah. do you feel best? And wow. we had to hold the mirror up mm. and honestly say, oh, gosh, in our head we're saying we want, we want the encounter, but your heart and your spirit leaps when the church building's full right. and the building's being met. And, and we, really yeah. had to, yeah. we really had to look mm. hard at that. So we made a decision. We decided that our metric of success was going to change mm. and the Lord warned us that we'd lose some people along the way and that it wouldn't be the most comfortable <laughs> ride ever. And mm. he was right. And I might pick it up from this point. You can, go um, for it. So, so in effect, what happened in this time was a season of a couple of years and... <laughs> Um, in the midst of that, I was got connected up with the guys out at Bethel Heaven in Business and ended up through them connected up with a, a business guy who, who had asked, would I become his pastor? Hmm. Um, and I'm thinking, well, this is odd. I said, I want to dispel a myth straight away. I'm no longer, you know, serving on the executive team of a mega church. I pastor this tiny little community. It's like, now this big children <laughs> in a tiny little country <laughs> suburb of, of Charlotte, which isn't even the capital of the state. You know? I'm like, sure, you got no delusion of grandeur here um he said no he said there was a, a prophetic release and it was very you know powerful and he said no i'd yeah. like you to um to come alongside and and, and coach and pastor me for a season and uh, i said i really think i could do that and so we, we developed a system that worked and i'd uh, in this process of encounter we'd gone through a series of teaching and um, you know, like you, I've, I've heard a lot of um, a lot of Christian phrases and things come and go. You know, they're, they're the latest pop culture of Christianity, mm. and, and mm. one of them that had, that had come, but had really stuck in my spirit that I, I really felt was capturing and arresting my attention was the on earth as it is in heaven, uh, because it wasn't just you know fine sounding words. It was in the heart of the disciples' prayer. Um, mm. And I just sat there and thought, oh, but, but the thing that frustrated me, I mean, really frustrated me, is lots of people talking about it, but the actual pragmatics of how do I do it, no matter yeah. what I read, it was all mm. the fluff and bubble of, you know, the charismatic world here or a little bit there or whatever. And I'm going, I, I, I just, I can't see anybody. So I got, I mean, you know me now, uh, I get frustrated. And I said, you know what? I've had a gut full of this. I'm doing something about it because there's something on this. I, I love the way you say it. There's juice on it. Uh, well, I know that this one's going to stick around because it's, it's stuck around 2,000 years to this point. It's going to stick around up some more. Um, so I, I shut our whole church systems programs down and I said, well, this is what we're doing. For the next three months, everybody in the house, we're going to spend a month learning to think how heaven thinks, a month learning to speak how heaven speaks, a month learning to live how heaven lives on earth as it is in heaven. End of story. So we shut down kids' church. Yep. We shut down youth. Yeah. We kept the nursery open because mm -hmm. the little littles were, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was even it. following conversation at the moment. But we we had all the kids in, which meant that 
any teaching that we did had to be taught at a level that would arrest their attention, right. yeah. which meant that everybody got it. Yeah, so we started yeah. seeing people. Everybody had to get it. You know, walk yeah. on out to the their parking lot to get the car, and all of a sudden they'd break out in tongues for the first time as they're about to open the door handles <laughs> of their cars, and people getting healed in the. Mm. And, and you would think, man, and learning how, how to prophesy over each other yeah, and healing. Exactly. And, yeah. and you would think, yeah. man, how cool the kingdom has come, and they scattered like ants. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Here we have an encounter with Jesus and the people of God. Uh, lots of them are just going, yeah, I don't know that I'm into that. It's, it went a little bit too long today. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that this bit about with the kids. No, I'm an adult. I don't need And it's just like, are you it's kidding me? This really, is in really mm. close away. So, so all that was happening at the same time. So I started coaching my friend on, on Think, Speak and Live. And we got into it for a few, a few sessions. And he stopped me and he said two things. He said, first of all, he said, I've read everything there is to read on business and ministry. I'm well read. Um, he said, I'm going to say right off the bat, he said, I don't care who, who I, I talk to. Nobody has this language that you have for business and ministry, and we have to get it written down. And if you write it down, he said, I would write, he would write the foreword. And he said, secondly, will we travel out um, to spend time with him out where he lived um, and uh, out in Dubai? So we said, um, OK, well, let's do that. Sure. Well, we shot out um, and uh, then, you know, connected us with other executives in the region. That's, I think, going on five years ago now. 2016. Um, yeah, 2016, there four, you go, February 2016. Um, we've now been active, I think, in 20, 20 nations, working with business mm. leaders all over the world um, from the highest level down to startups and everything mm. in between. And the Lord was starting to really shift this expression of what mm. on earth as it is mm. going to look like. Right. We, we got to the point where it was, um, as you said earlier, Jason, we knew we were called to pastoral pastoral ministry, mm. air quotes. Sure. Um, we, <laughs> we knew we were called to the local church um, and to pastor a church. But we also knew that there was definitely something on the international stuff that was starting to pop up and the, mm. and the global um, the global look of all of this. Mm. Um, we, we felt a little bit like we had one foot on a train that was pulling away mm. from a platform, <laughs> one foot on the platform, <laughs> and something was mm. going to give if we didn't figure out which side we wanted to be on. Right. Um, and we wrestled with it and wrestled with it. And the church is shrinking. We were Gideon's army. We mm. used to be, you know, we used to be yeah. really big. We were at least 120 people. You know? <laughs> and now we're sort of back looking at maybe 40, maybe 45. And that, and that was and, the conundrum because, you know, I've got business leaders paying me very right. good money <laughs> to, <laughs> to, tell, to them. tell them stuff that they're going, this is blowing my world apart this here. My awesome. business is changing. My business is shifting. And, my and family is shifting. My personal life is shifting. And, my relationship with God is shifting. Right. And they, some of these are business leaders that are arguably in the top five or ten most influential in the world, even right now, uh, coming back and saying, this is what the needle is shifting. And then we'll teach the same stuff on a Sunday and people go, yeah, I'm not so sure about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they'd say, what are you teaching them? Why can't you give us the same thing that we're teaching them? Like, You're getting it. You've got here's here's the smorgasbord, you get first pick and they're going, hmm. Yeah. It, it's just it's you know, where is the anointing for mm. for the people that God is calling you to? So so mm. we we had to wrestle with this whole well, what does traditional church look like? Yeah. We're hearing people being more and more disillusioned with traditional church for various mm. reasons. 
um, feeling like, particularly in the business world, that businessmen were valued for their wallets, mm. not right. for their creativity. Um, mm. They felt like they were really only welcome on the finance team um, and only welcome if they were putting money towards or blessing whatever the vision of the church was. If they came with their own ideas, they were very quickly sort of, you know, brushed aside and sure. ushered into the financial sure. committee and, and you know, sure. this is where we There's... can control you. And um, They were feeling frustrated because they were having all these amazing creative ideas that would reach the world for the kingdom and, and, and not being able to find an expression for that in church. So, so we're talking about all of this and we're getting to the point of going, okay, well, then there was the scalability thing. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I was sitting down here, not here, at my, our last house, I was sitting down one day and I caught up one of those uh, world worldometers um, and just looking at, you know, those who are checking in through births and those that are checking out through deaths in real time rate as it's ticking over and looking at the world population growth. And I sat there and I thought about it, you know, we, we've tried and, and attempted models of church uh, without going into the details of it, but you name the model, we've pretty much done it at some point mm, in terms of the right. West. Um, right. And, uh, and I looked at that and I thought, even our very best efforts, no matter what we do, it is a cost prohibitive proposition mm. to develop the church in any one of those models that could even come close to keeping up with that population growth. We spend so much time focusing on, you know, the forms and, forms and types of, of, our, of our worship and programs <laughs> and whatever else that we're doing. Um, but that doesn't really sit on the highest point of the agenda of the kingdom of God when the scalability issue is the main elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, because no matter what we do, we are, we're, we're falling hopelessly short of, of mm. even coming close uh, to keeping up, up to date on that. You know, all we do is we try and find more, more ways of redressing up, um, you know, the old, the old thing and it's just not working. And, 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 and we, I think there's a generation coming that's realising that, that in part the emperor has no clothes. Um, <laughs> and, and that's a harsh thing to say, but, but in, yeah. you know, when I look at the, 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 uh, but the heartbeat of it, there's there's just some major questions that have got to be asked. Mm. Um, so so yeah, we for us it was a, a question of what if we stripped everything back? What if we sold the building? What if we literally got back to the drawing board and said, okay, what are the key principles that we've learnt out of our journey? Let's stop and be thankful mm. for it for the mm. journey. But let's pull the principles out of the journey that we learnt. What if we truly put love at the centre? What if love was absolutely the highest goal, that it was the centerpiece, the nucleus around which everything else orbited? And I mean, truly, that was it. Not, 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 a, not just a, a topic, sermon topic. No, every... or a value yeah. on our values list, um, yeah. but actually was the centerpiece. And we built from that with a view to try and solve the scalability problem. What would that look like? First of mm. all, it would look like something where really input from other pastors really would not be helpful um, mm. at that point. But talking to other people who had solved scalability issues, they're the people I need to sit and talk to. So mm. I did. Mm. Right. Um, I started to adapt uh, you know, a model and a structure and a system to do that, to scale encounters with his perfect mm. love. And, and, and for, for love... Um, for love to be agile, the church has to be mobile. What did that end up looking like for you guys as you engaged in that process and did research and uh, I guess just engaged in prayer and all the things you guys did? What did it look like? It, it looked like um, <laughs> it looked like totally flipping everything on its head. Um, as Mark said, we sold our church building. We'd only bought it what three or four years earlier mm. yeah. um, and we were celebrating when we bought it because we've finally gotten to that point of maturity as <laughs> yeah. a church where you can get you can buy, you can buy the building <laughs> yay 
like, yeah. oh man, this thing is so cumbersome. Um, yeah. And we we shut we shut down Sunday services. We multiplied ourselves out. We're very careful about the language that we use. Hmm. We don't divide and we don't split into groups. We mm -hmm. multiply. We multiply out into groups and we birth new groups. Everybody mm. looks forward to a birth. Everybody anticipates a birth. It's exciting. It's new life. It's like, you know, this, this new thing that's coming. Um, but nobody gets excited about a split or a divide. It's painful. Right. <laughs> it's negative. So we're really careful about the language that we used. We, we um, had everybody in smaller groups, meeting in homes, and we developed a system and a, uh, a structure, I suppose, that can actually work to grow um, yeah. and it can yeah. grow exponentially. Yeah. Um, we're still ironing out some wrinkles at the moment and what we find is particularly in the Western church setting, um, growth is harder because the traditional model of church is so ingrained uh -huh. um, that we are still reliant on somebody else to do the work of evangelism, to do the work of teaching and discipleship. So at the moment, what we're really trying to go to go to school on is um, it's every believer's right and privilege and mandate to disciple people, build relationships, yeah, disciple so them, and you know, and do the work of evangelism. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. not everybody is gifted as an evangelist. I get that. Yeah. But everybody is everybody is able to build a relationship. So, so yeah. what, we, what we did is we, we, we developed a very basic structure that one of the principles we learned with the coaching model is it's unless you're a Coca-Cola or an Amazon and the like, <laughs> you can't scale the complex. Um, you can only scale the simple. So again, we stripped it right back. Mm. Love, love in its, in, its, in its purest form is very, very simple. Mm. Um, and so, so we said, okay, what did it look like if, if you know, the Bible clearly says, is it First John 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So whether a person good, knows bro. it or not, they are the pervading spiritual, they have access that's to being, becoming the pervading spiritual influence when they walk in the room. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so we looked at it and said, well, by nature of that fact, every, every believer is a leader simply by he who is in them. There you um, go. So what <laughs> would it mean to lead in love? What if they were leadership incubators to learn how to access, um, you know, the all authority that Jesus puts us mm. under? Um, and so we went L-E-A-D, what did it mean to lead in love? First of all, when people would come together, they would L-link the love of God one to another. And we used a little phrase through meeting, greeting and eating, intentional relationship building. Um, the E is they would then encounter his love together through worship and the, the sacraments. Um, so now you actually mm. have a church because you have the sacraments taking yeah. place. Yeah. Um, the A is yeah. then they would activate the love of God within um, through teaching and through prayer and the, and the gifts of the spirit. And then the D is deliverable, that they would deliver the love of God to others mm. so they in turn can link, encounter, activate, deliver. Yeah. Um, so in, in its simplest form, that was the basic element that we put together. found is that after the first two weeks, we had doubled in size. Mm -hmm. And we weren't in a building. And at that moment, <laughs> we looked at that vision statement hmm. and that little line that said, buildings cannot contain her growth. There it is. And we got it. <laughs> it only <laughs> took us 15 years, but we got it. Hey guys, just a quick break to let you know that you can find Thomas and I on familystory.org. You can also sign up for the mailing list where we release weekly 
articles, uh, monthly message podcast, and then we keep you up to speed on any opportunities, teachings, uh, travels that we're doing. You guys can check out my Instagram page. I'm posting stuff on mental health, wholeness, inner healing. I also do a good amount of work with the Enneagram and I'm, I'm gonna be doing a couple of Facebook Lives here coming up. My Instagram handle is my first name, my middle initial and my last name. So that's Thomas F. Floyd. And mine is Jason Clark is. Jason Clark is. Yes, yes. Is what? Is there? Is whatever you need him to be. Jason Whatever Clark you is. want him to be. Yeah, so go to familystory.org or check out our Instagram handles for more content and information. Bless you guys, we'll get back to this podcast. One of the things I know about about you guys and one of the things that, that we love to talk about is that the more convinced we are in the perfection of his love, the, 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 the more we can risk, right? And that's where we started. And the more uh, we're invited into um, the scary stuff. Uh, I, I already, as you guys were talking, I, I realized that the, this episode is going to be called Rethinking Church <laughs> because, because that's kind of what's happening. Even while you're talking, you're defining, you're, you're actually pushing against certain understandings that we've had for so long. And the only way you can do that, and the only ones I would trust willing to do that are those that are convinced that he's good, that his love is perfect. And and this is the statement. I want you to expound on this a little bit, the uncontrolling love of God. Because what you've said is to me the crux of probably the, the greatest um, pushback that you would get is the, the, the statement you said that everyone is a leader. What you're, what you're speaking to is really a profound thought about how Jesus actually moves and has his being and how love is actually going to answer the questions that ache in the heart of humanity. There's a phrase in this article that you guys got coming out. I want to read it, and I want you to speak to it because it's just a profound thought. People still are not perfect, but Jesus isn't afraid of people's sin. Once we understood that, a genuine culture of freedom emerged. And I would love you to speak to that truth right there, because that is huge. And that is a big, big deal in leadership in the church today, because we're so focused on uh, what, what they might do or what the, how they might fail. Or, you know, I would love you to expand on that. Yeah, for me, I think, and I can only speak of it from my own perspective because I can't presume what goes through other pastors' minds. So, you know, the safe ground is just to go, here's what it meant for Mark. Mm, yeah. um, and what it meant for Mark was that when I was, again, if I was brutally honest and I, I dared to take hold of the mirror that the Holy Spirit wanted to hold up to my heart, um, I found that in many of my activities and behaviors were, were creating systems and processes that I would call, you know, spiritual growth discipleship. But really what I was doing was creating systems to control the sin issue. Um, therefore, mm. most of my time was a spiritual policer and, and I was, mm. I was yeah. policing the rules wow. um, rather than actually and, and putting people more in relationship with those rules than I was in relationship with the Redeemer. And, and mm. that, that, that was, a, you know, and, and the more they adhered to the rules, they lived out the values. I was, I was blinded to the fact because I believed that, oh, that means they're growing more in their faith. No, they're mm. not. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're following the behavior. And you see, you go to a church and you look at the pastor and then you see everybody who dresses like the pastor, sounds like the pastor, whatever else. It's not, that's, not, yeah. that's not freedom. Um, yeah. it, it tells yeah. me here's a person who's professional at being able to police the rules around here. Mm. Um, and so much so yeah. that people fall into a line because now they feel yeah. safe. It's a, it's a false positive, but they feel safe and secure because the rules are in place. 
Um, but but mm. what if what if we, we we dared to challenge that and break it apart? Mm. Um, what if we didn't become policers of rules but releases of people? Um, mm. That was a very different <laughs> set of propositions and a lot of wow. a very mm. different series of activities that Mark would have to mm. perform in order to create something like that. And I remember yeah. I sat down with the law one day, and, and Jason knows our model. It's a fractal model for for growth and development. And, and I looked at that model and, and this this real deep, I've gonna, I'm going to puke feeling just washed over my mm. soul thinking, oh dear, um, I've got it really wrong here. And I remember taking it to the Lord and said, Lord, what I've got here in this fractal model um, can't be from you. And he goes, why not? And I said, because it just puts so much responsibility and control back into the hands of people and surely that cannot be from you. I mean, this is a wow. frank and honest conversation. Wow. And um, I said, is this from you? I had to ask the question because I learned a long time ago, I want to ask questions that reach a king's ears. And this is a question that reached the king's ears. I said, is yeah. this really from you? And this is the only response I got. He said, Mark, when I gave the Great Commission, I gave it full well knowing there'd be Corinthian style churches, but I gave it anyway. <laughs> In other words, he was saying, I'm not afraid of the sin issue anymore. Right. I've dealt with that. Wow. Um, they're they're mm. creating cultures for their freedom. He's much more passionate about that than the sin issue that he's already dealt with. Wow. Yeah. And, and so for, for us, that was like that that right. shifted everything right. for us when we when we arrived in that place. With, you know, the the Corinthian style churches, read through first and second Corinthians, and Paul <laughs> is addressing all manner of sin in the church. You know, yeah. you know who's sleeping mm. with people he shouldn't yeah. be sleeping with and people who are doing I mean there's no, he, he addressed it's a messy. bunch of I think, you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing as well, we did, we made this shift, what, three years ago, Mm. three, four, however many years ago, we've been doing it for a little while now. And then COVID-19 hit. Before COVID-19, we were crazy. Why would you want to put it online? It's so impersonal. It's so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's too distant. There's no accountability. There's no, you know, all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. COVID-19 hit and within within the week. You guys were like trending. Every <laughs> right. church. I'm calling you. Hey, how do you do this? <laughs> was right, scrambling was. to it try and that. get their church services online. And yeah. we just kept rolling. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we just mm. kept doing what we were doing. <laughs> The things that that just that just force us to stay on the anvil. I'd mm. say that's probably where mm. we we right. live a lot of our time is on the anvil, um, constantly hammering, constantly mm. letting go, constantly picking up. Mm. Now, I got a picture one day, and we were walking this whole thing out. And it was a picture of climbing a rope, and uh, when when you climb it, you know you're climbing up a rope like in a gymnasium. That there's one thing that is very true of climbing a rope is you can only climb as high as your bottom hand will let you go. It's, there comes a point where if you don't matter how much you're going to reach, you can't reach any further because your mm. bottom hand will keep you stuck. So you've got to let go of one hand in order to take up. But guess what? Yesterday's top hand is now today's um, bottom yeah. hand yeah. and so on and so forth. So, so yeah. the thing is that the whole, the whole trust process and rhythm of, of walking this stuff through is that you spend most of the time with only one hand on the rope. There's only a very short mm. amount of time both hands are on the rope and you feel right. What's going on around you? <laughs> just, uh, just for a second. And then you it's hit a, R-I-S-K all over again. Yeah, yeah. You just defined Mark Appleyard. That, that, that phrase right there. There's only a short amount of time where both hands are on the rope. <laughs> Mark Appleyard. Uh, <laughs> and Julie Appleyard, too. Uh, yeah, well, me by default, I think. I'm yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> I've always said, I feel like I'm just riding his coattails, and everybody says, oh, no, no, you in your own right, all that blah, 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 blah. But no, I, I, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for him. <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, Julie, um, 
I was reading this article that's coming out and, and I knew some of this conversation, we could have gone anywhere, but you guys are forerunners right now. Uh, you're pioneering uh, a, a new model, a fresh mm-hmm. model uh, from the foundational approach of, of, of an encounter with his love. And so I'd love you to speak to this uh, while we're talking about church. The church as Ecclesia uh, infers a responsibility to be a witness to the world, to bring heaven to earth as Christ's ambassadors. Yet if this is our sole definition of what it means to be the church, we are missing what Jesus called the good part. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I can keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good article. <laughs> but I, what's the good part? So, so when we're talking about, depending on where you grew up as to how you pronounce Ecclesia or Ecclesia, um, I say Ecclesia, you say Ecclesia, whatever, potato, potato. But when we're talking about the ecclesia, um, the church, the legislative assembly, when when Jesus was talking to Peter um, at Caesarea Philippi, where he says to him, who do people say that I am? And they said, you know, yeah, they all say you're a prophet. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the the son of God. Mm. And Jesus says, blessed are you because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. It's not been told to you by man. You've had this revelation from heaven. And on this foundation of truth, on this bedrock, I will build my church. So yes. he's talking about you will be my ecclesia. You will be my legislative community. Um, yeah, my legislative community. You will go out. Um, this was a, a, a Greek term um, that was familiar to the disciples because the Roman Empire, they, they lived under it. So they mm. knew what the Roman ecclesia was. And now Jesus is saying, you'll be my, my ecclesia, um, which means you will be my representatives that go into the world to carry the kingdom and bring the kingdom culture wherever you go. Because yeah. that's what the Roman ecclesia did. They brought the Roman culture wherever they went and they yes, Romanized the world. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, take my kingdom culture, right? And then in the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world yeah. as my mm. ecclesia, bring my kingdom culture and teach them to do everything that I've commanded you to do. What were the two greatest commandments that he gave? Love. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's mm. saying, take my kingdom culture of love everywhere you go and mm. and and kingdomize the world, I suppose. I don't know if you're wanting to Romanize the world. Um, but so we're looking at this. That takes a lot of courage to be able to do that. You can't just go out and bring kingdom culture if you haven't got a relationship with God this way. Yeah. Right. So those yeah. two those two commandments were were love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Make sure your relationship vertically between yourself and God is is as intimate and as strong as it can possibly be. That's the definition of the bride. Mm. Is our relationship with God, our intimacy, the yeah. deeper in intimacy that we get mm. with God, that's the bride. Yeah. And you need that part before you can do the second part, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the ecclesia. Mm. That's, that's, the, that's the great commission. That's go into all the world. But you can't go into all the world and courageously love other people unless you have <laughs> your own intimate relationship yeah. with God yeah. happening. Yeah. 
That'll uh, preach. So, yeah. so the good part is the intimacy part. Mm. Um, and mm. so many of us are afraid of intimacy on some level that we mm. kind of try and sidestep it or brush it aside or minimize it to some mm. degree mm. in order yeah. to get out there and do the business another of rule. it's another rule to follow it's an, yeah. it's legalism yeah. um yeah. and we've got to get about the business of fulfilling the great commission well the mm. whole business of the great commission being fulfilled is the Predicated. bride yeah. the intimacy yeah and and then the ecclesia and it's, yeah. it's two sides of the same coin you can't have one without the other i in my work i, I do a lot of emotional wholeness and mm -hmm just wholeness in general uh, in my work as a, just a therapist. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things I have to continually encourage my people, especially believers is that our doing has to come from our being, yeah. you know, we can't just be doing machines without knowing who we are and knowing our place and, and, yeah. and the relationship with the father. And, yeah. and so what I hear you say there is that it's important to do, but it's also important to know where that doing is coming from. Right. It, it has a source, Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's got a, it's got an anchor. So, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and, and you phrased it really well. I'm going to read back to you what you wrote, but without the intimacy we cultivate as the bride. And in this case, individually, we have nothing to give to the world mm -hmm. as his church yeah. or as his ecclesia or ecclesia. Mm -hmm. either way. <laughs> either. Is, yeah either either it's good <laughs> but uh that and that is the that's the foundation i i mean that's uh you wouldn't think that's rethinking church but uh but a lot of it is isn't it mm. uh, sadly so it is yeah. yeah and that's not to say that there aren't a lot of Oh, yeah, doing a lot of good things. Yeah. And we're not saying that traditional church should close its doors mm. and pack up shop and cease to exist. Mm. But mm. now it's time to um, to to step into that miracle territory to mm. that trusting Holy Spirit, taking a risk, looking for the change on the horizon. Um, there is a generation who's not satisfied with what traditional church mm. offers anymore. And mm. it needs to be that plus, plus something else. It's not salvation plus something. Hear me on that. Um, it's traditional church needs a helping hand just to keep up with the population growth. Mm. Forget right. about forget about anything else. We're not keeping up with the population growth. We need to do something differently. The way that Jesus set it up, the way that he told his disciples to go into all the world as the ecclesia, that can go viral. Mm. That can keep up with the population growth. Mm. That it can. Mm. And you yeah. read about it in Acts and you read in chapter 2, verses 45 to, or 42 to 47, the Lord added to their number daily. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Those who were being yeah. saved. Um, that's, that's even if even if it was just that church in Jerusalem, that's doing much better than most of our churches are doing. Mm. You know, I mean, we've run yeah. a church for how many years have we run a church, mm. and we cannot say mm. that the Lord added to our number daily in that traditional model. Something had to change, mm. so you had to think differently. I've been journaling recently on um, Jesus's conversations with his disciples through Matthew and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him and said, show us a miraculous sign, prove to us that you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, only a wicked generation asks for a miraculous sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and mm. then he goes yeah. across the lake with his disciples and the disciples forgot to bring bread. And Jesus says to them, and I, I don't you marvel at how Jesus kind of just weaves stuff in? And I think, how on earth do you make that connection between those mm. things? So I've spent a lot of time in this and there is a connection. I challenge you to go looking for it. Um, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples jump to the conclusion that he's scolding them. And he says, you have no faith. Don't you see all the things that we've done? The Pharisees have so much and they'll distribute it among the few of them, right? Mm. They, they get so much. He said, but weren't you there when I fed 5,000 people and when I fed 4,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes? He's talking about the the metrics of heaven are so different with a little bit we can distribute it to many and make an impact for the kingdom because the kingdom is about abundance it's not about keeping and it's not about protecting mm. it's about releasing mm. um so he's yeah. talking about all of this he's basically saying to them think differently you yeah. can't think like the pharisees and the sadducees we've got to think differently and pharisaical thinking has worked its way down through every generation and it still bothers us today mm. we just don't mm. recognize it and i feel like the lord's saying beware of the yeast of the pharisees and the sadducees you've got to think differently than they do you can't think mm. the same way mm. because it, it won't work that way the kingdom is not your way <laughs> it's my way and you've got to do it my way otherwise it's mm. not gonna it's not gonna work so yeah. anyway I like it. You know, it can sound like sometimes you're having a conversation about everything that the church has done wrong or doing wrong. And I remember, uh, I remember a trip I took to China, probably, and I've shared this with you. I was in China. I was meeting with a, a fellow there who was a businessman. Uh, I'd just seen his, his uh, success. I'd just seen several, he has several factories, nearly a thousand people in each factory. And and uh, they were well paid. They had childcare. They had healthcare. Uh, things that don't exist in, in, in China, and 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 eighty percent of of his staff were saved. Just it had happened. They had, they were Christians. They had had relationships, and they were uh, greatly impacting the underground church. So I just seen all this. I'm sitting across the table with him uh, over chicken heads and something else, and and he looks at me, and out of the blue, he he says something that was was like lightning from God in, in the way that I thought. He said the kingdom and the, and the church are two separate things. He said, we're here to advance the, the kingdom, but we are the church. Mm -hmm. and, he, and then he said, um, I moved to China to be a missionary, but, but you can't be a missionary in China, so I started a business. Mm -hmm. and, then, and he said, I'm advancing the kingdom through the church known as business. Mm -hmm. That was how he was saying it. I'm advancing the mm -hmm. kingdom through this structure right here, right now. He was explaining to me, he was flexible in his cultural context. He was advancing the kingdom as the church. And it looked like, and I'd just seen it, the evidence of it. I'd just seen it. It was, it was business. I'd also been to the, to the orphanage that had been funded by mm -hmm. these businesses for, for, for uh, special mm -hmm. needs children in China, which is yeah. another level of, mm -hmm. of miraculous. So I've seen right now, now, the kingdom advanced through what he's saying. So he says, the next thing he says to me is really profound. He says, Jason, there will always be a Sunday morning in the Western culture. Mm -hmm. Now, what he was addressing in me was he was saying, we, we have a certain thought 
process around what church looks like in the Western culture. And it, and it includes meeting. He said, this is what he said, actually. He said, even unsaved people go to church. No, you go to church on <laughs> Sunday morning in the Western culture. What I love about what you guys are running at, and maybe we can kind of work our way through to a conclusion here. What I love about you guys and how you live and move and have your being is it's the goodness of God and it's, it's love, foundationally love that we're having an encounter with his love. And then you're not afraid to be the first to run at the, the structures and the systems and call into question the hypocrisies and the controlling aspects of the pharisaical stuff that goes on that you just mentioned, mm. Julie, that is very alive and well in our church. And you're not, and at the same time, we're not knocking a Sunday morning meeting. We're not knocking. It has been a beautiful thing. God mm. trusted us to, to expand his kingdom. And it looks, and I know you know that, but I would, I, I, and it still works. And even the unsaved people know you, there will always be a Sunday morning. He's probably right in our culture, but but there's something greater happening right now. There is a generation awakening uh, that, that is awakening first and foremost to the nature of God being perfect mm-hmm. love, which is what we've talked about. That is the foundational place, that encounter with love. Mm-hmm. But then that second thing that they're awakening to is that maybe this, this isn't working. And what I love is you guys are running at um, developing and not afraid to fail and, and get it right again, but running at developing ways by which we, the church, can meet, live and move and have our being and expand his kingdom. And, and I'd love you to tell us what you maybe get the practicals of what it looks like right now for you guys. Um, I was reading, you know, the classic story of David and Goliath, and it speaks to this whole thing about, you know, church Sundays and, and, um, and the existing leadership collective of, of, the, of that expression, which is a good expression, but it's only one expression. Yeah. Um, and that is, um, you know, when David came to the hillside, Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel. He's the youngest dude on the hillside that day, pretty much. Yeah. Um, everybody's sitting there, you know, going, you know, talking, man, what are we going to do with this guy down here? And he's, you know, he's, he's saying all this stuff. And I don't know, I'm not going down there. I mean, the guy chopped my head off. He's 10 times my size. I'm not going, you go, I'm not going, you go. Mm. See, these are the conversations that are going on around there. And all the while, Goliath was still throwing his taunts and everyone's behind Goliath. And, and, and yeah, double for us kind of thing, you know, <laughs> you know kind of a thing. And, um, and, uh, and, and then David is the only one that asks the question that no one else is asking. He goes, who is this that dare defy the, the armies of Israel, um, mm. the God of the armies of Israel? And, and he just, you know, he just comes out with this question that just pierces across to every other question. And yeah. interestingly enough, his question reaches the king's ears. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought about it. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of questions that are asked in churches and this and, and, and models of church and all that stuff. And they're not bad questions. I'd be sitting on the outside going, oh, I'm not going to, what are we going to do with this guy? Um, they're, they're not bad. They're status quo questions that typically people mm. ask. And, and that's what they were with the, the people on the hillside. There was nothing changing. They were asking questions. They were status quo questions. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's good. Status quo. David asked the one question that dares not to keep the status quo. And it's the one question that reached the king's ears. And so I, I made a, a, just a covenant with the Lord that day. And I said, Lord, I only want to ask questions that reach the king's ears. I want, I want to reach your ears, Lord. And I said, I don't presume to know what the questions are. Would you tell me what the questions are you want me mm. to ask? Um, mm. that reach your ears mm. and those questions they led us into where we are now and what this thing starts to look like and there, there is hardly a day goes by where we're not confronted with a brand new set of questions yeah um, yeah and, and that's a good thing because the yeah. question without the answer you know it's i, I got a picture that the lord 
uh, gave me a picture of me sitting on the floor as a five-year-old boy. And this was a, a hypothetical. It wasn't something that I remember anyway happening. And I'm sitting on the floor as five-year-old Mark and my dad's sitting opposite me and we're doing a 20-piece jigsaw puzzle. And, um, you know, five-year-old Mark sees about four pieces in his frame of reference, but my dad is wise and he's older and he sees all 20 pieces. And so without five-year-old Mark knowing it, he's nudging pieces and shifting them around so that they sort of get in close. And then five-year-old <laughs> Mark goes, oh, that piece had fit in there. And dad goes, wow, good job. Well done. <laughs> That's amazing. And, um, and then, and, you know, I, as I sat and watched this from afar looking down on it, it really dawned on me that the goal of my dad sitting on the floor with five-year-old Mark had nothing to do with puzzle completion because mm. he could have completed that puzzle in, in, you know, in 10 seconds flat. His whole goal was intimacy. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole purpose of questions is not to That's figure great. out these complex issues, but it's actually an invitation to deeper intimacy. Yeah. He great. asked me, he said, what size problems do you want? And I thought, well, that can't be the Lord. And I said, well, can I be honest? He goes, yeah. I said, well, you know those real little ones that I can answer with an email or, or, or a quick <laughs> phone call? And he sounded disappointed. He goes, oh, I could give you those problems. He, I said, you sound disappointed. He goes, I'm only going to ask you one more time, only ever. I'm going to ask you this one more time. What size problems do you want? And I give me the biggest problems you know I can handle and, and he, he could hear the pleasure in his voice as he goes yes <laughs> well done and and, and they you know these are the questions now that, that, yeah. that reach a king's ears mm-hmm. um, because they're, they're, they're not given so I solve problems while well, I do solve problems the, the greater purpose is, is they're the invitation for Mark to deeper places of interest yeah. so yeah. I can encounter what it means to be the bride and then be a true uh, carrier of the ecclesia mm. to the to the four mm. ends of the earth. That's good. Um, and so, mm. what what does that look like? Hey, we're, wherever we can, we establish micro communities, um, and we can we can establish them now at, at, at cost neutral. It costs us nothing to start a micro yeah. community. So we've solved the the budget problem um, <laughs> on that front. <laughs> Um, and then with the, the tools and the resources we've put together and the training we've put together, it's very basic and simple, but it empowers people. Um, each person who wants to start a micro church, they get a free coach alongside them. It's just a pastor in their corner, as little or as much as they need uh, to support them and to sustain them in, in the journey and in the run. The micro communities can, um, can look any shape and size, um, fulfill any purpose. Um, in Australia, we've got um, a lady who's running um, it's like a like a mother's group or a play group yeah. for young mums. That's awesome. Mums, young yeah. mums. So cool. Yeah. Um, and it's getting together with the kids. But while they're there, she introduces the anathem teaching, plays a little bit of the anathem worship, um, and then gets discussion going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and That's talks awesome. to them and builds relationships with them. Yeah. And these are the sorts of groups that she's yeah. setting up. Um, you could you could run a book club. It could last yeah. six weeks or six months or six years. And you guys are providing worship. I've been on trips with you where, where you've recorded worship. Yeah. And so that's presented. There's teaching. Yeah. So there's all those resources are still there. Some of those things that we, we actually are looking for. Yeah, yeah exactly it, right. It, it allows you to be flexible. If you are a person who has a heart to, you know, you really feel like the Lord's putting it on your heart to get a group of people together and actually run one of these things, but you don't have the confidence yet because you're not at that stage in your journey with him to, to do the teaching, we have the teaching there. You can access mm. the teaching. We put it up. It's only 12, maybe 15 minutes um, that you watch the video, you, you listen, to the conversation that we're having um, we ask a few questions that actually are in, intended to get people discussing mm-hmm. um, we're, we're yeah. actually just wanting to um, to inject some sort of 
spiritual curiosity among people so that they're going to mm. talk about these things. Um, and, and then, you know, you're only having to facilitate what goes on in the group. You don't actually have to plan out a, a teaching yeah. or a schedule yeah. or whatever unless you want to. We have some leaders of groups who really really love to do that so they'll use some of the teachings for most of the time and then occasionally they'll go offline for a little bit and they'll do their own thing mm -hmm. because this is what the lord's laid on their heart but that's what we want to do we want to train up people who are going to go out into all the world and spread the gospel mm -hmm. so yeah. if they start off using all of our teaching and all of our worship and then end up not but still plugged in to mm -hmm. a broader community that's a good thing yeah. Teaching them how to hear the voice of God right. by reading yeah. the word of God. And yeah. they're, we're, we're trusting yeah. Holy Spirit to yeah. spread his church. Mm. Yeah. It's not actually it's up beautiful. to us. And yeah. it doesn't <laughs> depend on us. So. But we put, yeah. we put tools in their hands to help set them up for success and, and get the traction and get them moving. Right. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, and so the access to online training and resources there, they get their the access to a, a free coach. Um, and then, yeah, access to the actual practical resources right. to apply uh, in the context of their group. Yeah. So we're now getting it translated into German and into uh, Nepalese at the moment, all of our training. Oh, wow. We keep adding more and more questions to that as well hmm. um, as we go along. So, yeah. That's kind of the culture of freedom question that you asked a little yeah. bit earlier. Yes, it is. Was, <laughs> mm. was, you know, what does that look like? That looks yeah. like people running in what they believe the Lord's calling them to run in. Does that mean that some of them are going to go off the rails a little bit mm -hmm. and go a little bit swimming? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Probably so, but it's not, it, it, it's, it's his church. It's mm. not our church. Mm, that's beautiful. And we're called to equip people and release them. You know. You know, one of the core byproducts is now there's probably as many people in groups that we just don't know and have never met mm. um, as mm. those we do know and have met. Mm. So that, that's, yeah. that, that's sort of a fun transition that we're starting yeah. to make now right um i really love that that's that says we're on the right track man this has been fun i am um, man i'm honored guys that you're here and and uh we we do have to ask you um about uh, your favorite tacos we yeah can't, we can't let this go by without at least acknowledging that um that you guys eat tacos yeah. We do. We had tacos yeah. for dinner last night. We actually. did. And in fact, we're going to have them for lunch tomorrow as well. But did you eat tacos in Australia? Is that like, did you ever, was that we big did. there? Yeah. yeah. We did. But what we realized when we moved over here is that what we thought was traditional Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> Australian. Had quite the Aussie Aussie slant on it. Oh yeah. Wish we remember that that taco is about the only Mexican phrase that we say correctly. That's right. Right. We say fajitas and tortillas. Because if you walk into a restaurant and ask for a tortilla, they look at you like you're trying to be someone else. Super high. In Australia, oh, like you're a hoity-toity. I got you. Yeah, you are very. But when you come here, you should. You should probably say tortilla. And we <laughs> said tortillas, and they looked at us like, <laughs> what on, rock did you crawl out from? You on <laughs> That's hilarious. Do you guys have fajitas? Do you serve fajitas? Fajitas, really, yeah. yeah That's awesome. <laughs> Refresh. Now, here's, here's the real question. Hard shells or soft shells? Oh, careful. Oh, for me, definitely soft, because, I mean, it is the biggest um, practical joke. <laughs> in the world uh, to give you a hard shell because 
one bite and the thing just explodes in your hand. So oh, really soft all Mark. The way. Well, I would have said hard shells, but then last night Dale bought those tiny little street. <laughs> oh, Dale, he's awesome. Soft shells, because usually the soft shells are flour tortillas, and I can't eat flour, so yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah, do the weird yeah. thing. But the corn tortillas, the soft corn tortillas, uh, they were good. Mm, see, there's a debate. There's a disagreement. There's a disagreement here that we uh, yeah, <laughs> soft taco is the only right way to to, to do a taco. <laughs> so who's it's soft and who's hard? He's soft. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's no, a soft taco. <laughs> that's that's how that's how God intended them. Uh, that's how. They, wow. Uh, wow. Wow. Okay. All right. We rethink a lot of things here, but not tacos. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, um, where can we find your stuff? Like, yeah. where can people yeah. go to find you? So pretty much what we, we, we do have a website, um, which is anothen.co, A-N-O-T-H-E-N.co. Uh, really, it is, it is just a billboard for the app. Everything happens through the app. And you'll find that at U-Church, um, Y-O-U-Church. Um, that's, our, mm. that's our app. You'll get that on, on every platform. Um, and then through there, we actually, the app is designed to have two completely different sections on it, which is uh, Micro Churches and Anathan Biz Solutions. Um, so everything you need to know, if you need coaching and consulting and things like that, personal spiritual coaching in your business, um, uh, all that kind of stuff. Or your personal life. Yeah, or your oh, personal yeah. life. Yeah, right. all together. Um, or, or micro churches. So uh, mm. yeah, on, on any of those fronts, that's where we are and that's where you find us. Um, and, and we're still very actively coaching business leaders all over the world. So if there's mm. anybody that's wanting to find out more about that, reach out to us. Um, through that platform, it's yeah. very easy to have a call to mm. action and um, follow through, and we'll we'll set up a call cool. um, for your free consultation. And um, or you want to know more about microchurches, you'll find all that out there and how to get a hold of us. Awesome! This has been so much fun, guys. It was really nice to meet you guys. Yeah, and uh, maybe we'll meet face to face at some point. Yeah, that would, I'd like awesome. that. that would be good. <laughs> yeah, love you guys. Awesome. Yes. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it encouraged. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. If you guys want to subscribe to this podcast, please do. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them. Anywhere you might listen and, to podcasts. And leave a review. Leave a review. Yeah, that'd be Especially great. Especially if it's a good review. We're just getting started, right? We don't want bad reviews. No. Also, if you want to follow us on uh, social media, um, you can go uh, to, uh, I know this man has a Twitter account. Uh, we both do. 160 followers. Nice. It's very active. It's about to skyrocket. Um, and if you want to find us uh, online, we're at afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org. Also, you can reach me there if you want to get a hold of us for any reason at uh, jason at afamilystory.org. We're excited that you guys are on this journey with us, and we look forward to releasing more content. Yep. Yeah, thanks. See you.